0: Welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. Hello and welcome to this Director's Briefing Podcast. My name is Hugo Lee. I am the media and communications lead at the Institute of Directors. In this podcast, we are discussing environmental, social, and governance priorities for companies in 2022. And I'm delighted to be joined by Gillian Karen Cumberledge. Gillian is a co-founder of Fidelio Partners and a board member of Chapter Zero, the Directors Climate Forum. Janos Michopoulos as well as being a corporate governance and leadership course leader for the IOD, Janos is the chair of the board of directors of DESFA, the Greek gas transmission systems operator. Chris Hodge, who is an independent advisor on governance and stewardship, and is a senior advisor to the IOD's Center for Corporate Governance. And Dr. Roger Barker, the IOD's director of policy and corporate governance. Welcome to you all. Roger, you have just written a policy paper for the IOD on ESG priorities for UK companies, could I ask you to start by giving us an overview of those priorities um, and why they are important? Yes, well, well, thank
1: you, Hugo, and welcome to all my guests.
0: Um, These
1: are 26 recommendations or priorities for UK companies, which are organized across five themes, which we're going to to explore in due course. The idea is that this is not some kind of code or set of regulatory requirements. Rather, it's a series of recommendations of priorities, which could be very usefully explored and discussed by any board of directors in, in 2022. In terms of why we chose these specific uh, priorities, many of them have been highlighted by IOD members in our our surveys of members and our expert advisory groups and and have been highlighted by them as being beneficial to long-term performance. Also, conversely, I think that many of them can act as pretty effective red flags in terms of organizational management and culture. It is – I don't know what other people have found, but there have been many instances where these type of issues have come up um, on the radar in respect of of company um, activities – And then that's been followed by actually a significant period of underperformance or some kind of other further problems following on from that. Essentially, the IOD feels that these priorities offer a way for business to rebuild trust with wider society. Um, Business is, after all, a part of society, and so are directors. We don't operate in some kind of separate vacuum where we're unaffected by societal challenges like climate change, for example. Um, and so, you know, it, it is very important, I think, from our perspective to reconnect the business community with societal uh, priorities. Um, now some may say, aren't, aren't these ESG priorities that we're putting forward all pretty self-evident? Aren't they obvious to most people nowadays in business? Well, I would say, actually, no, that isn't necessarily the case. And from time to time, you do see very different perspectives being put forward. One example recently um, was put forward by the fund manager, Terry Smith, who opined that the board of Unilever, for example, had had lost the plot because it was focusing excessively on issues of sustainability. Um, I came across another commentator recently who argued that the idea of business having a social purpose was the most dangerous business idea of the moment. So, there are a number of different perspectives out there, and so I think it's important to make the case for these ESG priorities and and uh, understand why they really can add value to a business. But let me turn then to the first of the sections in this document, which relates to stakeholders and, and purpose of business. And what we're saying here is that companies should adopt a social purpose um, and that th- this is a way of actually aligning business with the objectives and the purposes of society, particularly the younger generations of society. Um but maybe I could start off by asking, you know, one of the panel, maybe Janos I could, could start by asking you, I mean, do, 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 does business or do companies need to define a social purpose?
2: Uh, thanks, uh, Roger, for the question. And thanks for the opportunity to be a member of this uh, panel. Very exciting time. The answer to your question is a straightforward yes. And I can say that uh, with uh, not only a UK perspective, but also with an international perspective, Particular from a sector where I have um, worked on my professional life, the energy sector, which at the moment is undergoing a massive transition with the so-called energy transition, and I think it's, you know, the definition of redefining the purpose to be in alignment with uh, not only current trends but future trends, which I'm, we will talk later in terms of climate change and uh, and uh, impact on on all of us. Yes, I mean. Do you think, though, Chris, that by
1: defining a social purpose um, for a company, that that perhaps might be blurring the boundaries between business and and politics and and, and governmental
3: activity? I I don't think in the way that um, uh, you've explained it in the report that came out today, Roger, I don't think when when you read that definition of it that that's the case. But I think this is an area where perhaps the terminology does doesn't always help because it's phrases like social purpose can be misrepresented in the, as in the examples you gave to mean. I've heard businesses say, well, are you telling us we have to be run like charities now rather than as, as commercial organizations? And of course, that's not uh, how we're using the terminology at all. I mean, what what you say in the, in, in the report, in the priorities, is, is it's about making sure that you're paying due regard to all of those different groups whose involvement, support, Uh, participation is instrumental to the company having long-term success, so employees, suppliers, and and all those other groups. And I think if you understand it in in the sense of you need to make sure that you're looking after the interests of those groups so that they will continue to look after the interests of the company, then I think that that perhaps um, gets away from this confusion a little about what what the term really means. Gillian, I mean the the paper talks
1: about the need for directors really to balance the interests of stakeholders so so not just shareholders but a, but a wider range of important stakeholders. do you I'm mean, based on your interaction with 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 directors of, of major companies, do you feel that um, most of them accept the need to do that?
4: I think probably traditionally good businesses have done this. I, I, I think in some ways we're sort of formalizing something that good businesses will have done. Um, and certainly, I mean, I've also worked in Germany, for example, and a lot of the sort of the stakeholder um, emphasis is very, very natural to sort of continental European companies, for example, that certainly wouldn't think of themselves as sort of charities. So I, I, I don't think it's sort of alien to, 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 to being a successful commercial company. Um I also think, um, you know, from what from the work we're doing with, 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 with directors, there's a growing awareness that this is quite complex, but it does need to be embedded. And, and I think purpose is quite a simple way of embedding ESG, which is quite a complex subject. Um, and I also think, um, you know, one area we're seeing purpose play an enormously important role is attracting and retaining talent that certainly for people coming into the workforce and, and choosing to stay with the company, that sort of sense of purpose is, 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 is very powerful. And we're certainly seeing, going to your question, board directors focusing a lot more on the sort of the people agenda and purpose is one element of that. Yes. Well, let me
1: turn now to sustainability um, and what the document is advocating here for First of all, first and foremost, is that we need a board of directors and a a leadership team which really understands sustainability and is committed to changing it. And then it goes on to recommend that companies try to measure their climate impact, consider the opportunities and risks um, around climate change, and also um, really encourages them to set a target for when they're going to um Achieve net zero, Julian. Um, you know, as as, as part of um, Chapter Zero, this this is a subject which which is very um, important to you. But let me just ask you the question: To what extent do you think these recommendations here are feasible for smaller companies? You know, as, as opposed to you know other the, the multinationals and large listed companies.
4: Um, I think they have to become feasible. I, I think it's a very fair question. But I think oh. one of the things you know that we're seeing post cop 26 is significant requirements of larger companies and those requirements of larger companies typically extend to supply chains and, and 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 also if you look at the financial services sector clients of the financial services sector and so i think smaller companies Will be caught up in the they might not be subject to the formal requirements of larger companies currently. but actually, um, I, I spoke on a podcast with the with the IOD a month ago, and one of the topics that was mentioned was one of the large supermarkets that had sent um, climate change um, uh, requirements to all of its supply chain, including um smaller companies. And so I think very quickly there's a sort of an imperative to do to do this because um smaller companies will be. Caught up as well, um, but I think there's also, you know, there's, that's the risk side of the equation. There's also the opportunity side of the equation, and, and we're certainly going to see a sort of a um, an enormous amount of innovation and creativity. And I think for smaller companies to be part of that um, is, is, you know, there's a great opportunity there as well.
1: Janos, do you want to come in here?
2: No, just to support what uh, Gillian said. Um, the recommendations are excellent. But the devil is in the detail and the detail is in the implementation. And of course, in different sectors um, and different companies, the size of, uh, as, as Gillian said, the challenges will be different because for some sectors, they recognize, you know, sustainability is sort of second, is part and parcel of, of uh, doing basic business. For some other sectors, it's a sort of new area. And in terms of directors, uh, your question, Roger, whether they understand some of them, my experience is some of them do understand it, but understanding it and actually getting on and do something about it is quite a different story whereas indeed for some of the smaller companies uh, maybe they get it because so they have maybe younger um, um, staff base etc but do they have the the numbers the skills the diversity to deal with all these issues because it's not one or two areas that you need to tick. and if you start talking about sustainability uh, it's just about everything Jillian talk about suppliers customers or the stakeholders, so it's um, yes. a very, a very challenging area indeed. Yes, I mean, Chris. If it, certainly,
1: according to the activists who were present at COP26, um, business and society needs to move much faster in terms of addressing climate change um, but how fast do you think um, business can go isn't I mean, the argument which is sometimes made is that you know if, 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 a, if an individual business goes too fast it will make itself uncompetitive on, on a global basis you know how should business be approaching that issue?
3: It's a, it's a tricky question to answer that one Roger, because as, as, um, as Sir Gillian said I to a certain extent the pace of change is not going to be set by companies themselves, it will be coming at them either if they're large or listed companies directly through regulation. Uh, as Julian said, there are supply chain uh, pressures, if that's the right word to use. And also for the sources of finance, both banks and, and investors, asset management companies now have obligations of their own to try to uh, to meet both in terms of reporting and in the the type of investments they're making. So, if you're a company of any size that needs some sort of access to external capital, you can expect to see this pressure coming on you. I think the what one would hope is that the um, the priorities, I suppose, it's certainly in terms of the investors that I've spoken to, are those sectors and those companies that you might describe as you know contributing to the problem of, of climate change, and those are, those are those sectors that, as Janos says, are probably you would hope uh, more progressive and more already progressed more in terms of trying to address this and their level of awareness so that may give smaller companies and those in other sectors a bit more time to develop their own internal processes and uh, strategies and so on i see Julius is, is indicating to us so. um
4: it's just really building on on, on what's been said um, there's also very good um, guidance, data and support, including for smaller companies. And this is a little bit of a plug for Chapter Zero, but also for the IOD. I know there's a lot of work going on. You know, we have a toolkit for directors and really helping, for, you know, people who perhaps, you know, haven't grown up in the sector, um, but to really begin to think through, you know, what are the risks? What are the opportunities? What does a carbon footprint look like? And also encouraging them to think in terms of scenarios rather than sort of Um, simple forecasting Um, so there is a lot of um, support out there Um, you know we've been delighted our membership has grown very dramatically on this single focus of of climate change competence Um, and we're now seeing a much broader range of of providers also provide support so I I I think just to give comfort it might be difficult but you know there, there is quite a lot of support and resource out there.
1: Thank you, Gillian. Um, well, let me now turn to the third of, of the themes of this paper, which is inclusion and diversity. And essentially what um, we are advocating as priorities here um, are that we need balance on boards of directors and senior leadership teams in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity and uh, potentially other other relevant um, characteristics as well. Um, you know, this is something, uh, this is an argument which I think has now been largely won. You know, it, it, there will be benefits of, um, for decision making in doing that. And it will also be very positively viewed by, by the rest of society. But Janos, I mean, how do you think, um, companies should go about actually making a difference in terms of inclusion and diversity? Should, should a board of directors be setting targets across these various dimensions of, of um, diversity, inclusion and diversity? Um, should they be creating action plans? Um, how should they go about this? All of the above,
2: mm-hmm. but with, uh, in, uh, in, in the right mix. Um, of course, if you are in, in some jurisdictions, for instance, where, and here we know we're talking about the UK, where um, obviously you have sort of a lot of imbalances, then sort of setting targets actually does help to, you know, to correct. Because if, as they say, the saying is, if you cannot measure something, you cannot, you know, manage it. But my own experience in terms of diversity and inclusiveness, the the art is in the, what is underneath the surface and here i'm talking about diversity of the thinking diversity of experiences for instance the recent covid crisis demonstrated that there were some sectors and some companies who had experience in in dealing with such a crisis whereas others didn't now if you're in the board what you do when you apply for uh, you know for for net you have so many different uh, you know criteria you know Hard skills, soft skills, etc. And you say, by the way, have you had an experience in dealing with uh, with COVID? No, really. So uh, the answer to your question, Roger, is they should embrace it. They should look at themselves. They should do the famous sort of this metrics. You know what we have, what we don't have, and always is um, going beyond your own thinking. Is you don't know what you don't know. Reaching out, embrace it. This is the word I would use. And um, and. Uh, and deal with it. Put action plans in place because you cannot change the composition of the board or the skills of the board overnight. This is a long term. Yes. And Julian, you must have come across
1: many good examples and many bad examples of how um, companies are approaching um, this theme. I mean, are there any 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 sort of positive um, experiences that you you could you could share?
4: Well, I think companies um, that embrace diversity. Um, tend to do this better because they build an understanding of of the business case. And obviously, the cognitive diversity um, is is really important. But without sort of, I don't know, gender diversity and ethnic diversity and age diversity, you're unlikely to get cognitive diversity. So I think it is important that that there is some challenge around, you know, if everybody comes from the same background, they probably will think in a very similar way. Um, I think on gender, I think a lot of progress has been made, and there's there's a great pool of very talented women. So there's to be honest, there's 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 not really much excuse for um, not being able to find um, strong female candidates, particularly in the UK, because we've also got finance. So the, the audit committee direct, you know, the chair of audit committee, for example, you know, there, there are plenty of female finance professionals. In other areas, um, I think companies that do do well. Um, identify where there's an obstacle, and perhaps put in place a longer term plan to try and address that, either at board or or, or at um, executive level. And I've seen um, a number of sort of financial services companies, for example, I- identify gaps in ethnic diversity. And actually, perhaps go back to their graduate and their sort of you know their trainee programs, and start reaching into schools and universities, and 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 and. Um, and so, I think it is taking a sort of a longer term view, um, and really understanding where the obstacles are, and then putting in place a sort of a strategy to overcome them.
1: Yes. Um- I'm just going to turn now to governance, which is the fourth of of our themes, and some sorry of the Roger, could
3: I um, could I briefly interrupt you Yeah sure, please do it was, yes. it was just to say really building on what what both the others have said about long term planning the I think one of the important priorities that you've put in the in the document coming out today is about uh, measuring and monitoring levels of inclusiveness and diversity throughout the organization, not just at at senior level because that clearly is an important element of any long-term plan to develop an internal pool of, of diverse individuals who can play that role. Also, going back to what you were saying in your introduction about, um, or it may have been Gillian, I think, was talking about being a company that is seen as a good place to work, a welcoming, uh, uh, inclusive company. Then uh, if you have those sort of policies and, and reputation that helps with uh, attract the right sort of people who will want to stay and help and work with the company over the longer term. Thank
1: thank you. Um well you no know, Chris I'd like to bring you in again if I may on the on the topic of governance. Um some of the priorities mentioned in this document are similar to or 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 more general versions of, of things which are in the UK corporate governance code but but a number aren't and I wonder what you, as someone who has been intimately involved with with the development of the UK corporate governance code, um, think about some emerging issues like the importance of doing due diligence of supply chains. Um, that that has come up over the last year in a number of specific um, cases of where companies have run into problems um, around their their supply chains. Um, what what would you what would you say the directors should be doing in respect of that?
3: Well, again, I mean, it, it, uh, it's to sort of repeat a general theme: it's putting plans and 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 uh, measurement systems in place. I mean, part of the reason this is has come up and, and uh, this is alluded to in the, the list of priorities is the legislation relating to modern slavery and um, and bribery, where the directors now have some form of responsibility, legal responsibility for actions that are taken within their supply chains. Uh, a lot of your members will probably have um, come across this in their capacity as suppliers to so larger companies, but uh, it's something that I think uh, they need to think about the due diligence of their own supply chain, particularly if they have a, a, perhaps a global supply chain. Uh, uh, but again, as with others, it's a case of putting the necessary control systems and, and uh, measurement and monitoring in place within the company.
1: Yes. Now, now, um, one of the things that we highlight, Janos, in in this is the. Um, the importance of professionalizing the boardroom um, pr- and professionalizing the leadership team and you are one of the IOD t- IOD's tutors you're teaching our courses in the process of um, leading up to people becoming chartered directors you know wh- what's your vision for the for the professionalization of the
2: boardrooms? maybe we should add number 27 attend IOD courses as a matter of priority send all your boards. But I think
1: <laughs> I thought that would be a bit too blatant from an IOD perspective but but uh, but,
2: absolutely. That's, but that's exactly uh, as you say this is an area where continuous improvement and constantly refreshing the skills of, of directors is a must not only for the survival but for the long-term success of uh, of the companies and um, uh, here you have uh, highlighted a few areas that uh, we cover in uh, in our IOD courses but um, um, that's it is I can only agree with you. Support and encourage our audience and uh, you know the uh, the people who will be receiving the document to seek ways to to professionalize, to um, to attend relevant courses. And as you say, IOD, we would be very happy to uh, to accommodate their needs either with our open programs or with in company programs.
1: Yes. Now, there's just one final point. I did just want to briefly touch on um chris could i just come back to you on this and that is the importance of prompt payment of suppliers um but there have been changes to the prompt payment code to reflect that this this problem this it's a real issue for for, for smaller companies um yeah what, what are your observations on, on that issue
3: now, it's uh, Unfortunately, it's a bit of a hardy perennial, this particular problem, isn't it? I mean, I remember in my days when I was a regulator having discussions around upgrading the, the disclosure requirements and prompt payment codes on this probably best part of, of 10 years ago. I mean, I think it's, um, in terms of the, the companies, I think it does tie back a bit to the uh, the theme of purpose and being seen as a Trustworthy and fair company to do to do dealings with and if talking to investors who have, who I think, are beginning to wake up to this as a bit more of an issue. Uh, you were talking earlier, Roger, about how the absence of some of the good practices set out in in your priorities could be a red flag, either to the board or to the um, or, or or to potential or existing investors, and certainly. I think there is a, an increasing awareness and long overdue awareness that a failure to treat your suppliers well or a failure to pay promptly and in accordance with the code can perhaps be a red flag that is indicative of more deep-seated governance problems within the and cultural problems within the company. Yes, Gillian.
4: Thank you. Could I just pick up on a point that Chris made about how investors are thinking about governance? I mean, we certainly, uh, for daily... One of the things Fidelity does is conduct evaluations, and we've seen what was previously very focused on quoted companies has really increased much more broadly. And we're seeing smaller companies, uh, private equity-owned companies, privately held companies, charities, and and so I think you know governance. There's a recognition um, that that governance is linked to value and and, and valuation and and access to capital. Um, and and so all these attributes are, are being looked at in a very different way. It used to be um, maybe a little bit tick box, but but now we're seeing governance being thought about in a mus- much more muscular way, which I, I think is a good thing.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Let me now turn to the, our, our fifth and final theme, theme, which is executive pay. And I, I suppose this is a topic, perhaps, which has gone slightly off the boil in the last couple of years. A Few years ago, it really was the was the issue of the moment. Um, now, other thing other things have come have intervened and, and seem somewhat um, more important. But um, Janos, I wonder, one of the things that we do emphasise here is that um, a board, a company, should be careful about how generous is it, it is in rewarding management if the company has received significant support, government support during the pandemic. Um, is that an issue that's also, for example, present in and um, discussed in in Greece in or in other countries that you're involved in, as well as the UK?
2: That's a, that's a good question, which is a bit difficult to answer because in in uh various countries then you had different schemes and uh, that companies receive support but for sure um, I can I can uh, sympathize with uh, you know the point that you made that uh, you should recognize not only the, fi- the financial performance and, 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 and the hard achievements but also the softer achievements. Um, I don't want to, to, um, to go into details but a friend of mine told me that he resigned from a board because um, the company had to take some tough decisions to lay some people off and cut co- costs. It was a family-owned business. Uh, but um, when it came to voting, they decided to, uh, to maintain the dividend for the shareholders, which was a little bit of a, of a mismatch. Um, one other comment that I make here, um, um, Roger, is that um, I I'm putting my energy hat on rather than the, um, uh, you know, the country hat is that uh, in, in the energy world, we are used to having um, you know, scorecards, if you like, right across the organization, not on the boards, which includes a number of these softer targets, particular health and safety, which is integral part. And I vividly remember the year when I missed my own bonus because I missed my health and safety targets. Um, I used to work for a company which has been voted um, recently the most sustainable company in the world. So um, boards need to exercise care and take decisions in the context where they operate, whether the sector or the country and the sensitivities. In the UK, as you said, the government issue is is very sensitive, but in other countries, some maybe some other issues. And yes. as you say in London, mind the gap. You should yes. not have a gap between your own world and uh, where the society is. Yes. And and Julian A
1: number of companies are now starting to introduce climate-related performance criteria as as feeding into executive pay. Do do you think that that can be a valuable way of of aligning managers' um, perspectives with with the need to achieve net zero?
4: I think it can. I think it needs to be thought through very carefully. Um, And I think there's quite a lot of work that probably needs to be done um, before implementing targets, I mean, generally, um, sort of, we've seen that on ESG, including climate targets, within sort of bonus structures or remuneration structures, there's been quite a lot of chopping and changing, and it's quite difficult to to to, to get it right. Um, but certainly, I mean, you can see that investors are pushing quite hard um, to actually, and we've seen that with the oil companies in particular, um, that, that, you know, if, if there is a, a plan towards net zero, what, why is this um, reflected in um, compensation schemes? Um, so I think it does it, it does need to be done. I perhaps just say I think one thing we've seen with many companies is that actually having perhaps an ESG committee can help the REM committee. In thinking through these difficult issues, so perhaps I mean I don't want to say don't be over hasty because we really don't have time on climate change, Um, but 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 do think very carefully how to get that appropriate alignment.
1: Yes, and Chris, I mean a a few years ago the debate seemed to be all about how much the CEO was earning, and you know what was the ratio between CEO pay and that of the uh, of other employees. Do do you think that the discussions around pay are, are kind of evolving now um, away from that focus perhaps on what the top level pay is to, to a broader um, a broader perspective of, of pay across the organisation.
3: Um, yes and no, I suppose. I mean, I, I don't think you know it only needs one perceived overpayment or un, un, unreasonable payment to a CEO for, to bring that first issue back in the headline. So it, it may have gone relatively quiet over the last couple of years. I don't think it will... Ever go away completely? Certainly not in the, in the UK. But I think you're right, Roger. We have seen in recent years more of a focus on uh, alignment, to use the phrase, or mind the gap, if if you want, within within the company. And, and again, I think it goes back to to your introductory remarks about the purpose and the culture of the organisation. So there's been there's been the, the regulatory requirement for listed companies to disclose pay, pay ratios between CEO and, and the mean employee there's been more focus on issues like um, equivalent um, ability to, to obtain pensions at the same entitlement whereas previously you would much you would see uh, senior managers being able to claim a much larger percentage of their uh, of their of their remuneration in, in pension um, and so I think there's been much more focus on um, trying to ensure that pay across the organization is seen as as fair uh, and transparent and that contributing to the, again, to the desire for people to want to work for the company and to, to continue to work hard to, to help it deliver success. Yes. Well, Gillian,
1: Janos and Chris, thank you so much for your uh, contributions. Well, Janos, yep, there's still time to come in. Please do so.
2: Just a, a, a silly comment, if I may, Roger. I've been reading the document very carefully but if I didn't see the, uh, the title of the document, which, of course, is ESG priorities for UK companies, I thought we were talking about good business practices for any company anywhere in the world. So that, to me, is the, the overall summary. Some of what we're talking about is some so much good business sense that we should be fully integrated in our normal business practices rather than being, oh, I've done the normal business and now I have to do something on ESG. It's yes. Too
0: mean, too
1: I know, I, to I, I, no, absolutely, um, Janos. I, I, I fully agree with that. that, that absolutely. Um, well, Janos, Gillian, Chris, thank you so much
0: for your contributions. Um, Hugo, I'll hand back to you. Thank you, Roger. And uh, thank you to all of today's guests. It's been really interesting to hear your views and experiences in relation to the key themes that we have discussed today. Um, If you'd like to learn more about the IOD's perspective on these issues, I would encourage you to read Roger's paper, which you can find on our website at iod.com. We hope that you have enjoyed this Director's Briefing podcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts. You can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. You can also contact us directly via policy-unit at iod.com.